Okay. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Uh, this is Michael Unterberg, as always. I even remembered my name, which I don't always. Uh, unfortunately, this is, I think, the first non-Allen episode of the Teacher's Lounge. Well, how does that, isn't that, I thought I'd get a noise for that. So that's the sad news. I am super lonely without Alan. Hi, Alan. Uh, he's not just my boss. He's my partner in these, so it's a little lonely. But the good news is, that was weird. <laughs> Pretty sure I heard a wolf whistle. Uh, the good news is, however... <laughs> no, nobody knows it was you. Uh, the good news is that I am here with a large group of students from Midrashet Harova. And so we are going to do sort of a press conference-y, question-answer-y evening for this episode. It is currently in the time that we are recording this on a Thursday night. I come to class at 8.30. It ends at 10. And I will tell you that at Harova, I always come in exhausted and leave energized. Yeah, you guys are good at the sound effects. This is good. You're going to save me like hours of fake editing, you guys making sounds. So what I really wanted you guys to do tonight is, I know we often have freewheeling questions, and I know that because my teaching style is so rigid that I give you no time to ask questions, I always stay fiercely on topic. You've never had the chance to ask any questions. But tonight, I wanted to focus on questions about what, what are your concerns for next year? The year is coming to an end. You're all going to be wrapping yourselves in Israeli flags and weeping as you get on the plane. Right? Because you're leaving your homeland and going into exile, Harova girls. Why? No, just kidding. Okay. Yeah, I know. College and life and good stuff. Baruch Hashem. But, well, you can yell stuff out. That's cool. Well, you're, you're ready with your question? Okay, so what I'm going to ask everybody to do is at least say your first name when you ask your question. Ask your question and then give me, like, I don't know, five shekel. Hi, I'm Shoshana. Uh, Hi, Shoshana. Thank you. Is this your first time calling in? Yes. Are you a long-time listener to the podcast? No. Dang. Sorry. So I was wondering, I'm imagining myself in a debate with a, a BDS supporter, and I'm this is a very plausible situation where I get to a point where I either could have a very good argument but I'm not sure if that argument is 100% accurate. Should I say when I get to that point, I actually don't know? Or should I just say that argument, even if it's only, if I'm only 90% sure that it's accurate? Well, first of all, do you think you will often, honestly, do you think you will often be in arguments with BDS supporters? No, realistically, I'm just, before we, before we address the specific question. Honestly, probably not. Probably not. Like, probably, it's good to be wary of that encounter, but that's probably not most of your encounters. Most of your encounters will be people who aren't decided, right? There's 10% who are decided on either end, and you're probably mostly going to be talking to the 80 in the middle. What do you guys think? Well, how would you, what would you recommend to Shoshana about handling the question? I would recommend, I think the person would respect you more if you said you would like to check your facts and then continue the argument later when you're 100% sure. Just in general, what do you have to lose by being honest? You say, I don't know, I'm like pretty sure, but I'm not totally sure, so I have to look it up. But 
You, we, we, here's the beauty part. Because what we believe in and what we stand for is so meaningful and is so true that we have no fear of it being absolutely honest. Only if you're trying to sell something that's kind of fake do you have to worry about, well, maybe I better shade the truth. Maybe I better... You never have to worry about that because you're talking about Am Yisrael's connection to Eretz Yisrael. You're good. More questions. Oh, question. Hi, I'm Gila. Hi, uh, Gila. So I don't know. It's a bit. I not. I happen to not be going to American University next year. I don't blame you. <laughs> so I guess maybe somebody will ask you this next year, but it's less on that. If that's okay, yeah, it's just sure. a question. Okay, how do you relate if you do a tool? Um, terrorist attacks around the world to terrorism in Israel and just um, Muslims in the Middle East versus like the Muslims that do the terrorist attacks around the world. What do you mean? Well, I don't understand. What are you... Like how... Do you put it under the same category? Do you... Do, do they have any relation at all? Do you... Like is it the same... Do you know what I mean? Are, are you asking if international terrorism is a, is a linked phenomenon that we should see as one category or should we see it as a bunch of separate incidents? Would you say it's okay to put it in the same category? Like, we have terrorist attacks every day almost here, and then there's, like, one huge one outside. Like, what, do they relate? Do you know what? Yeah, of course. Look, terrorism is a, is, a, is a tool. It's a strange tool. It's an evil way to... What is terrorism? Who's going to define terrorism? What is terrorism? Yeah. It is a way of invoking fear in the general public. So if I make a scary movie, right? A horror movie. That's not terrorism. Unjustified violence. What violence? Unjustified violence. What makes it unjustified? What would make terrorism unjustified? If it's against innocent civilians. Yeah. Violence against civilians for a political cause. Let's call that. And you're 100% right. The goal is to make people more scared then they really should be because you can't really harm the general population. So you kill and injure a small number and inflict terror across the population. You're 100% right. And, that's, and, and so it's political violence against civilians. Political violence against civilians is, is, is a tactic used, I would say, not only by what we call terrorists, but sometimes by governments. And I think it should be more or less universally condemned. So if you're asking if there's a common theme and if, there, if there's some connection, morally, I think they're very connected. I think it's immoral and it should be opposed. Now, organizationally, it can also be connected. We're finding out now, recently, uh, this was uh, in the Times. What's her name? I can't remember her name. Um, uh, it's a hard name to remember. But she is reporting that a lot of the cases that we thought were lone wolf attacks of people who say they, they support um, ISIS. So we were saying, but they're lone wolves, they're not really getting help from ISIS. We're finding out now that they actually were. They were getting advice, they were getting uh, even things sent to them. So if you're connected organizationally, as many of these are, through a big organization, then they're definitely connected. The ones in Israel are usually, at least as far as I know at this point, not connected to those international organizations, but they are 
often common travelers, whether they're purely political. If they're purely political, then they're not so connected ideologically to ISIS. But if they're religious, like, like the Hamas side as opposed to the Fatah side, so it could be there to a certain extent ideologically linked. But I think you can condemn it universally no matter who's doing it to whom. What about this case in, um, in, uh, in, where is it, in Portland? Yeah, on the train, this guy was threatening a Muslim passenger, yelling things at her, and a few people got up on the train and defended this Muslim person, and two of them were killed, and one of them was hospitalized. By This was this past week, by a seemingly crazed white supremacist who hated Muslims, and when two white people jumped up to protect the Muslim, he killed the two white people. I see no reason not to condemn any terrorism. Look, when it happened here in Israel, well, no, you had, you had Jewish people who murdered a Palestinian teenager and burned his body and left it in the park after the three boys were kidnapped. And everyone in Israel, politicians, citizens, I think correctly called that a heinous crime that we, we will not stand for. I guess I always assume that normal people are saying normal things. Do you know what I mean? I think, you know the wisdom of the masses? You ever did that experiment in school? I think that's what it's called. Like you take a jar of jelly beans, let's say, and you ask everybody in, in the auditorium to guess how many jelly beans are in the jar, and you'll get a wide, crazy number of jelly beans, but usually, this really works, when you average it out, it's pretty close to accurate. That when you live in a free society and you let people really think, overall, the healthy middle ground, moderate people, are pretty normal, and you'll, you'll get a pretty normal consensus. That's, that's usually my, that's my operating assumption. I have another question. Yeah, other questions, cool. Hi, I'm Talia. Hello, Talia. I don't know you as Talia, though. It's true. People call me teacup. It's true. They do. Um, my question is, I know and I've heard and I've seen that on college campuses, the BDS and um, anti-Zionist, anti-Israel groups are extremely vocal. And the way that they get a lot of attraction is that they kind of just yell random words so that you associate is like they'll say zionism is racism so once you hear zionism you think racism so if i see or hear that on campus and rather than going up to a student and having a 20-minute discussion on saying how zionism isn't racism what are ways i can just like simply say how it's incorrect or what the actual facts are are you okay? So tell me if I'm hearing your question correctly. If they're doing these kind of yelling tactics, which are effective, they're not necessarily convincing, but they leave this imprint Zionism is racism, Israel is apartheid. What can we do to combat that? Is that what you're asking? Short, yelly stuff? Not, it doesn't have to necessarily be yelly. Yeah. So if you see people walking by and they and you see them having weird expressions because they're listening to what's being yelled at instead of just saying that's not true, kind of just say, oh, actually, 
I am a Zionist and this is what's actually true. They're just kind of like yelling things at you. So if you're in a conversation with a person, so then it's a conversation. That's a tactic that doesn't play to us well, the yelling stuff. Because by nature, we don't like to yell stuff. Um, usually there'll be an organization on campus that you can join with, and it's good to have a counter rally. I've been at pro-Israel rallies in America, surrounded by anti-Israel groups, waving like barbed wire and yelling terrible things. But then people walking by see that your rally is actually more reasonable. Yeah, you're chanting stuff, but you're not like doing crazy stuff. That's usually what groups on campus can do, and you can always help those groups. In terms of the overall tactic of creating association of words like Zionism is racism or Israel's apartheid, I don't know. I'm not that smart. I don't know what to do about that. It's an amazing tactic. And every time I say, well, here's why Israel isn't apartheid, Israel isn't apartheid because when apartheid this, but Israel that, I'm just drilling it in. I have to have that conversation with somebody now, but they've done a fantastic job of poisoning the, the, the context of the conversation. So they'll fail because ultimately we're going to prove that we're right by being reasonable and honest and they're expressing lies and hatred. But short term, that, that one we can't do. But usually a protest is best, I think, responded to by a counter-protest. And then conversations. Conversations, I think, at the end are the most meaningful. Hi, I'm Karen. Hi, Karen. So, um, after so what? <laughs> after being here for the year and being very involved in like everything that happens here, like, I get like updates on my phone and everything. It's very. I'm trying to think like ahead, going back, how I'm going to stay involved in like what's going on here. Because when I was in high school, my teachers always used to tell us that we should write letters to our um, congressmen, and I, I understood where they were coming from. At the same time, I had a very hard time believing that like. The, they actually read the letters or the, the letters actually made a difference. So is there something more that we can be – like are there organizations that you very much support on campus that we can like help or any other suggestions? So I'm going to show you – Blee Netter tonight after we finish this thing, I'm going to show you different organizations you can work with and join. I will tell you that if you're particularly interested – first of all, no matter what country you're from, contacting your representatives absolutely matters. I don't know that your particular representative will read that particular email or letter, but they have people on staff who tally up who's saying what. And so very often you'll have like fringe people getting their voices heard, but the normal people don't enough send in and contact their, in your case, congressperson or senator. So for sure that is true. If you're interested in political activity, the obvious choices were, would be, in America, would be APAC, but there are organizations in every country. And I, I, I actually didn't, when I lobbied, I did it with the Cleveland Federation. So there's multiple organizations to connect with. If you're, are you asking specifically about political or just in general? It's mostly just how I can still feel connected to Israel without being in Israel, because it's like this ongoing like hardship and like conflict that I have that I'm so supportive and I'm so Zionistic, but I'm living in America and I just want to like still feel connected and still feel like I'm helping like what I care about. And, and you feel comfortable saying what campus you're going to be on? I'm going to the University of Maryland. University of Maryland has a very connected Hillel. It's got Stand With Us. It's got Camera on Campus. It's got all these organizations. You can work with all of them. You can work with some of them. I think AE Pi does a thing, uh, Israel thing. There's, you'll, you'll, you'll encounter it right away. 
Um, I haven't, we have to have a meeting at the end of the year with some of the people from those organizations to fill us in about how this year has been on campus. So I don't know all the details yet. But there's stuff to do in Maryland. And you'll find those people. No matter what campus you are on, there's a group. And I will say this as a plug because I have no shame, but also because that's why we do this. The reason we create the website with the blog and the podcast is exactly for that. We want you to feel connected to what we're talking about here. So, you know, once a week for 40 minutes, you hear this this sort of talk about Israel that we do here. And we're always accessible. Like you go to to juisrael.jerusalemu.org and you can click on Mike, you can click on Alan, you can click on Benji, you can click on Zev, you can click on any teacher, or you could ask all the teachers. You can live chat with us, you can Facebook us. So we're, as an educational resource, always have your back, and then whatever organization you partner with, they're just going to fall over themselves to help you help them. So that you should not be worried about. Question? Hi, I'm Ariel. Hello, Ariel. Um, I was just wondering. That's going to be terrible in editing. It got a laugh, but it wasn't worth it, probably. Um, I was just wondering how you like toe the line, kind of between knowing that like Israel's right and legitimate, but also feeling bad because you also know that there is a lot of suffering on the other side. Why? Why would I have to toe the line between those two? Like just like in your head, like like how like because you'll feel bad when someone comes up to you and says like how like what happened to like their family or their life because you know that like there is hardship there. Yeah, so why shouldn't you feel bad for somebody who's going through a hardship? Like like, like how do you argue with that, I guess? Oh, I I don't Okay, so let me redirect a little bit, I think. I I will not argue that they're not having a ter- they're having a terrible time. That's terrible and that I would like a better life for them. However, I think it's unreasonable to expect, since Israel isn't causing that problem, I think it's a mistake to expect Israel to solve that problem. So in general, I think it's very important not to be anti-humans, right? And what you're describing, a feeling sympathy for a person who's gone through a hardship, I see no reason you shouldn't feel, I mean, that's a very important human and Jewish reaction to a person in hardship. But the natural reaction that people have to that story, for whatever reason, I think because there's a, there's a naive assumption that because Israel's a powerful country and the Palestinians are weak, that if the Palestinians are suffering, it must be Israel's fault. That is a mistake overall. I'm not saying Israel doesn't ever do anything wrong and might make decisions that hurt people. But Israel, in good faith, has offered the West Bank and Gaza to the Palestinians to make a state in 2000 and 2008 putting aside that it was offered to them in 1937, 1947. But in modern times, Yasser Arafat in 2000, the current president, Mahmoud Abbas, in 2008, and they reject the offer. They're not interested in a Palestinian state in the West Bank and Gaza at this time. And so that leaves Israel with very few options. If we can't leave the West Bank, I mean, we could, we could unilaterally pull out, which most people say would be terrible, worse for the Palestinians than for the Israelis. It's really not a good option. So what should Israel do if the Palestinians are not willing to take a state in the West Bank and Gaza? So Israel's left in this difficult, mushy position. And it's complicated. I'm not saying Israel, I'm not saying nobody should ever criticize Israel. Obviously, people should if they disagree with the policy of Israel. You might agree or you might even disagree with some Israeli policies. 
But to say that the Palestinians are suffering because of things Israelis do and not because of things Palestinians do is a huge disrespect to those Palestinians. And I guarantee you that will make them suffer longer. As long as we keep blaming the Israelis for the Palestinian suffering, we are making sure that the suffering will continue because we're not putting pressure on the Palestinians to clean up their act. You guys, you're going to have to have elections. You guys have to get corruption out. When the foreign aid money comes in, you got to put it, you got to build better facilities. You guys have to stop the internal violence where you, where you guys are killing each other. You guys have to stop letting militias do their thing without... And you guys have to stop educating your communities and your, your kids with terrible messages by naming parks and buildings for terrorists, by paying salaries to families of, of terrorists. You're, impl- you're implicitly setting the Palestinian people back. Move the Palestinian people forward. Show that you can have leadership that cares and takes care of the people, that's responsible that holds elections, that maintains freedom, that doesn't arrest reporters, that doesn't arrest people for religious violations. We had in Hebron, a few people last week were arrested for eating in public on Ramadan. That's not, that's not Gaza. That's in the West Bank. I, I'm, 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 do I think it will ever happen? I don't know what will happen. I'm not a Navi. But I am, I am a Jeffersonian, and I believe that the, 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 the arc of history will be towards freedom and liberty, that we're moving towards a better future. And as a person who believes in the Bible, I believe Isaiah, that we will live in a world where there is peace. I don't think it'll happen in the near future, but I'm willing to be surprised. And if I'm not surprised, then that just means we have more work to do. But the work... What offends me is when people say, Palestinians are suffering, look how much Israel has to do. That I find offensive and racist and anti-Arab. If Palestinians are suffering, Arabs have nothing to do with that? Are all Arabs children? Or are there adults in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip who have to take responsibility for their actions and decisions? And criticize Israel and tell Israel to reform and do things better? But if you're telling Israel it's the only thing, the, the only thing that will save the Palestinians is the Israelis, it, that's unbelievably anti-Arab racist. You're saying Arabs are babies. They're not. They're people. Yes? Hi, my name is Emily. Oh, hello, Emily. How are you? I'm good. Um, my question is, so when you're debating or talking to somebody who's not necessarily pro-BDS, but definitely somebody who like cares for like the poor Palestinians who are being victimized, um, and you tell them like they should be like working on on like refining their whole society, what do you think like I should tell them, or I think that they should do to help make that a change? And do you think that having students on campus advocating for that rather than BDS would actually make a difference? Yeah, I think, by the way, I think that's a really easy argument to win against BDS. BDS is saying the solution for the Arab-Israeli conversation is not to be Israel. That's not a likely outcome in the near future um, for a whole bunch of reasons. But, uh, but like I said, I think, look up on Wikipedia, Salam Fayyad or as the people in the West were calling it, Fayyadism. They had a prime minister who said exactly what I'm saying. It's time to stop blaming Israel. It's time to get our collective act together as a people and show that we can create a responsible government which will make the world have to say you're a state. 
it's because it's not because of Israel. It's because we don't act like a state. We don't take care of our citizens that they don't think of us as a state. And he had very concrete steps that he wanted to take. And he was pretty much driven out of Palestinian government. So if you want the checklist, look up Salam Fayyad, and, and you'll see it mostly was, was get rid of corruption. It was mostly get rid of corruption. And then we'll be able to build a stable society, and then why wouldn't we get a state? And we would be happy to have a state. It could be a small... Because part of the problem is, if you want that state to be... It could be Singapore. It could be a small country. Like Israel's a small country that does really well for even though you don't have to be a big country to do amazingly well, but you do have to do the things that places like Israel and Singapore do. And that is you have to run an open, free society with responsible governance and a a decent functioning, creative, good education. Do what the West does. Yes. Hi, Manucha. Hello, Manucha. Okay, so my question is, um, <clears throat> last week we learned about Natan Sharansky's like three D's for identifying anti-Semitism. One of them was double standards. So my question is, is there a difference between holding Israel to a higher standard because it is like the democracy in the Middle East and because it is our Jewish country and because we have certain values we wish to uphold and double standards by like, I don't know, compare like in comparison to Saudi Arabia or um, North Korea with other countries that are millions of hum- like humans right violations and stuff like that. Well, I, I, you know, I can't speak for Sharansky, but that idea, the three D's where you know somebody's not criticizing Israel, they're, con- they're anti- being anti-Zionist and anti-Semitic, is if they delegitimize Israel, if they demonize Israel, assume all of its motives are terrible, or hold it to a double standard, meaning you don't care what other countries do that are worse, you just care about what Israel does, which is really not, uh, how do you say, yachasi? Comparatively, proportionately, so bad. So that's when you're talking about people from the outside talking about Israel. It's okay for us as Jews, I think, to want to hold our country to a higher standard. Part of what people talk about elitism in a country, you know, American exceptionalism, for example. Well, that means you think your country is exceptional. That's good. I think we should all. Just like I think my granddaughter is the cutest baby on earth. Now, I know that other people will disagree with me because it's not their granddaughter. But it's okay for me to think that my nation should be the most moral nation on earth. And I'm going to hold it to a very high standard. So there's no problem internally for us to demand the highest possible standards of justice and righteousness as we see it. And then we'll debate with our fellow Jewish citizens about, and Arab citizens of Israel about what we think that is. Um, it's okay to hold yourself to a higher standard. It's rude when somebody else says. It's unfair when the teacher holds one student to a different standard than the other students, and it shows that the teacher has a bias against you. It's, they're not being fair. So it's an inside-outside question, I think. Outside, that's not cool. Inside, yeah, we should, I think. Question? Hi, my name is Shira. Hello. I'm not going to pronounce your name. I, I say Shira, but yeah. However you want. My question is... That's my Brooklyn face talking. My question is, how effective do you think it actually is to send 19-year-old ex-gap year Israel students to a pro-BDS rally and advocate for Israel when they're maybe advocating, they're arguing against fourth and fifth and sixth year university students who have been through it so many times, even professors who believe they're right. And once they've heard that you've been in Israel for a year, all they think is you've been indoctrinated and 
they may just stop listening to you because of your age and how you come across as a Jewish person. So, so if you're talking about convincing people who have joined the BDS and are active BDS people, I agree with you. I, I, don't, think, I don't think you'll change their minds, but I don't think professors change their mind. Experts in the field don't change their mind. They've made their decision, right? But on campus, you will meet other people who are in university who aren't in BDS, and they hear BDS, and it's possible that all they will hear is BDS. You could imagine that scenario where the Jews on campus say, well, what, I mean, what are we going to do? They're yelling things. What are we supposed to do? You could imagine that scenario. So a student who isn't uh, committed to BDS, but they spend their four years at university, and all they heard was the BDS side. And then they go off into the world. Now, if they're a fair-minded person, they may say, well, those people yelling things on campus probably aren't totally right. But I've never heard anybody say anything else. You could imagine that scenario. That's what's unacceptable. That scenario is unacceptable. So if you're saying, well, but what can 19-year-olds do? 19-year-olds can be the other voice. And they, I, I think they're obligated to be that other voice. And you're saying, well, but they, may, they don't know as much as a professor. Well, that's true, but I'll make two points. One is the point I made earlier, but you're really telling the truth. And the truth, I believe, matters in the long run. Even if it doesn't always win in the short term, in the long term, I think it will. But the other thing is, you don't have to be perfect at telling your truth. An imperfect voice is always better than a perfect silence. Right? And if students are doing a good job, not a perfect job, but a good job, then those people who are in the middle will hear both sides. And they'll be able to make their decisions better. And that means you will have made an enormous contribution. There's a... There's a I heard this story in the name of the Chafetz Chaim. You know how all these stories, you can hear it in different people's names, so you don't know who anybody ever said it. But here's the story I heard in the name of the Chafetz Chaim. A student, a yeshiva student was worried. He was being sent off to be a teacher somewhere, and he went to the Chafetz Chaim. He said, but I don't think I'm ready to be a teacher. I don't know enough. So the Chafetz Chaim said, I'll tell you a mashal. Uh, what's a mashal? Example? Parable. Uh, there was a town where everybody was getting really, really sick. They couldn't figure out. There was this epidemic in this town. Only in this town. It didn't spread if people traveled to other towns. If they went to other towns, they felt better. But back at home, everybody was really sick all the time. <clears throat> so they sent away for a specialist who examined the town, and he discovered that their water source was tainted. He said, guys, your wells are full of garbage, and it's making you sick. That's the bad news. The good news is there's a simple solution. Boil the water. Before you use water, Boil it. I'm going to come back in a year and check on you, and I expect everybody to be perfectly healthy, as can be, because you will promise me today that you will not use water before you boil it, and then you'll be fine. Comes back a year later, there's no town. The town is gone. So he goes to the neighboring town, and he finds, finds people who used to live in that town. He said, what happened to your town? It burned like six months ago. It burned. What happened? Well, a bunch of the buildings caught fire, and by the time the water boiled... The houses burned down before we could put them out. And the doctor said to them, you idiots. When the house is burning to the ground, <laughs> they, boil, they tried to boil the water instead of using, spilling it on the burning house. 
He said, don't use the water until it's boiled. And so they went, yes, it's stupid. Remember, parable, not an actual story. And he said, yes, parable. And he said, the doctor said, you idiots, when the house is burning, you throw whatever water you have at the fire. You don't wait to find perfect water. The Chafetz Chaim said, you feel nervous that you're not the perfect Torah scholar. But we have an enormous problem of losing Jews to assimilation. The house is burning. Go do what you need to do. Don't worry that you're not perfect. Go. We just need to throw things at the fire. And this is a problem. This really is a problem. So everybody's going to do what they can. And you'll, you'll, you'll know yourself what you can do and what you can't do. You'll self-adjust. Hello, Manna. Hello, Anna. Um, not particularly for myself, but for people who would go to campus. Um, I can imagine that people would come up to them and asking, like, for their year in Israel, like how it was and things like that, and how they could be comfortable with being there, or maybe if they're against Israel, um, like, how could they be there for the year? And maybe if it makes you feel uncomfortable, like, if they're asking you questions, how you can respond to that if you don't think you have enough knowledge? Like, after hearing the story or this parable, it might be weird because you say, like, with the water, like, whatever you can throw on it. But if you don't think you have the ability to answer that question, how do you still, like... You absolutely have the ability to answer that question. You don't need a single thing I've ever taught you to answer that question. Your experience of being here... I was there for... I lived there in the old... I interacted with Israelis all the time. I'm telling you. Lovely people. Say, I don't... Say, I don't have knowledge about politics. Now, you can. You can study politics and be the kind of person who can answer about politics. But I think it's more important to say, you may be not picturing what Israel is. I was there. Let me tell you what Israel's like. Israel is the kind of place where if you get on in the middle of the bus, you can pass a five shekel bill up to the front of the bus and the, over the heads of you know, 15 people, and then you get passed back your ticket and your change. And you're not missing you know, an agura. Or a woman gets on the middle, hands you her baby, goes to the front, pays the bus driver. Yeah. Right? Has that happened to you? Yeah. And then comes back and says, Toda, and it's perfectly normal. Israel is a wonderful, beautiful place, and it's dealing with some very difficult things. So I would say to that person who's never been here but thinks it's a terrible place, whether or not I know all about the politics, I can tell you that daily life... People are people. And these are, you know, I interact with lovely people and see lovely, beautiful things all the time. So maybe I don't know about the politics, but it's not this crazy, horrible, evil place that you're describing. And quite frankly, we should also be careful not to do that to other societies. Oh, I know what people from countries so-and-so are like. Really? Have you spent a year there? Then you may not know. And you will find, and you guys are going to have to contact me next year. You guys are going to have to contact me and tell me what you're experiencing on campuses. And you may think, oh, this is a little thing. Mike won't care. Mike is desperate for knowledge to know what you are encountering. And every incident, every question, every answer, no matter how innocuous, will fascinate me. And I will owe you a tremendous debt of gratitude for just contacting me and saying, and here's my bet. And I will bet. What do you want to bet? What are we betting? Chocolate? All right, I don't like chocolate. I'll get you chocolate. 
if I lose the bet. But if I win the bet, you have to get me an action figure of my choice. <laughs> I'm, I like Batman. Uh, uh, but you can't really get good action figures in Israel. So, yeah. uh, But I have a collection. Anyway, the what? Or Europe. Oh, you think you're weaseling out of it because you don't live in America? Oh, that's true. Oh, you weaseled. Uh, here's my bet. Most people you encounter will be open-minded when you tell them you spent a year in Israel. Unless they're in that 10% who hate Israel. They'll be like, oh, wow, Israel, what's that like? And you'll say, well, here's what it's like. And they'll say, really? Oh, that's not what I was picturing. And you will never get to politics. Because that's what people are like. I lived in America for a long time, and I'm telling you, I interacted with Americans. I know what they're like. No, that was just me being weird. Yeah. Hi, I'm Rhonda. Hi, Rhonda. My question is in particular, um, on college campuses, how should we react if our professors um, say anti-Israel things to the class? Um, so how should we respond to that or support Israel in that setting? Well, that's, that's, the hardest, that's the hardest one. Uh, I, I don't think, I, I, I think I've said this to you before, resist the idea that there is a right thing to do. You're going to have to make your own judgment. You're going to have to know the teacher. You're going to have to know the scenario. Um, getting into an argument with a teacher in class can often be counterproductive to your academic career, let alone. And sometimes you want to stand up and be heroic, and sometimes it's not going to achieve anything, and it'll just ruin your grade. So you have to... Don't, uh, I would argue, resist listening to adults who say, here's what to do. You have to make your own, you have to let your conscience guide you to what will be productive. Like if you know that you could meet this teacher after class and, you know, in office hours and have a conversation with them and they'll go, oh, they're the kind of teacher that would go, oh, I did not know that. That's so interesting that you're showing me this. I'll mention that in class next week. That's different than a teacher who says, well, you obviously don't understand anything, and I'm going to give you a D. And really, that's different in class. Like class, a teacher can feel. So it, it, it's a, that's the, the most complicated scenario. So I, I, I don't think there's a right thing to do. I think you have to make your best judgment and always check. When I do that, I always have to check to myself. And myself, when I decide what I should do, am I just choosing what's easier to do and rationalizing it? And so sometimes maybe I fail that test and I rationalize that I really should. But sometimes I go, mm, I don't want to, but here's what I should do. And sometimes I'll say, no, the thing I feel like doing is actually the right thing in this scenario because nothing I do actively will make this better. And in fact, it might make it worse. So if you're in that kind of case where you don't think anything you say to the teacher will make a difference, do you think it's wrong to just not do anything even when the teacher is spreading this information to the rest of the students in the class? Well, again, what are your options? You can interrupt in class and respond in class. You have to decide if that's the right thing to do. You can meet the teacher personally after class. You have to decide if that's the right thing to do. If you think it's really egregious, you could go over their head and complain to their supervisor without stopping by them. That's really tricky. And that, that's really a hard resort to choose because it's to jump over their head without giving them the time to... People, people choose all those options. And, I, and, I, and we hear stories of people who 
either somewhat get burned or go through a hard time. There was just a story of a young woman who was finishing social work school in Canada. You saw that? Yeah. So she, in her third year social work practical placement, asked to be placed uh, in one of two Jewish institutions. And the placement advisor at the social work school said, "Mm, I'm sorry, pick somewhere else. These are not places that stand by the values of social work. She was like, why? She said, because they're anti-Palestinian and don't believe in human rights because they support the state of Israel. So she, she got placed for the third and fourth year. She did not register a complaint because she thought it would hurt her education. And then she went to the press after she graduated and felt she was safe. Was that the right thing or the wrong thing? I don't know. I'm not her. That's how she chose to handle it. I'm not judging anybody. And then you'll hear stories of people in college who you know, go to the wall and get the whole place in an uproar. And maybe it hurts their academically short term, but long term they do graduate and they do fight through. There's a reason that not everybody does that. So I can't tell you what you should do. I can only tell you you have to really be honest with your conscience if you're doing what you think you should do or you're doing what, you, what is easier to do. Certainly, there is no reason not to talk to classmates who you know. And say, wow, I can't believe they're saying that. In my opinion, that's garbage because blah, 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 blah. That, I think, is always a valid option, and it's always useful. I will tell you that we are outspent and outresourced on campuses today. And there's a lot of weird stuff going on on campuses today, not just Israel stuff. There's real assaults on freedom of speech on college campus. From usually from the, 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 the liberal left extreme, not the, not the right extreme on campus. So you're going to encounter a bunch of weird stuff on campus, a bunch of weird stuff, probably. Um, Israel will be a sliver of it. And there's only so much one person can change. You, you know, like Pirkei Avot says, you can't, you can't fix the whole thing, but you're, 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 you are not free to ignore the problem. Don't, it's not your job to, how do you say that in English? You're not expected to solve the whole problem, but you're not free to ignore the problem. So you have to find your middle. I just have an anecdote about what Talia was talking about before. Go for it. <laughs> um, last year I did an internship and my boss, I was talking to him about that I was going to Israel for the year and he asked me if I was scared. And I immediately was like, no, it, didn't, it doesn't even like cross my mind to be afraid here. And I told him, I, I'm from the like, greater Washington, D.C. area. And I said, if you heard about every shooting, every stabbing that happened in Washington, D.C., you would not want to come to work every day either. You know, it's, and it ends up turning into a very positive conversation about Israel. And it, I think it's sometimes just people, there's a stigma and you just have to break down that stigma. And it's usually pretty easy. It's just like, yeah, I lived there for a year and I saw it firsthand and it's an amazing place. And it's just about talking about it. Because usually the stigma isn't negative. It's not that I hate Israel or I think Israel's bad. It's that I don't get Israel. So when I fill you in on my experience, you go, oh, now I'm more enlightened about what Israel is. Oh, okay. So you, I, don't, I think you will encounter... Less often, we f- less often than we fear, people who are anti-Israel or anti-Zionist, they will be Israel ignorant, and we can enlighten them. That's most of what you will encounter, I assume. Um, do you think talking to people who are a little bit more well-versed on the topic rather than people who are more ignorant, who it's more, 
who it's easier to like convince that to like be more pro-Israel. Do you think it would be more helpful if you were less biased and said more of like the Arab perspective also? And like said, if you had, let's say, more experiences with like the Arab community and so like, oh, they're actually normal and they're not second class citizens. And here's why. Do you think that would be more effective? I don't know. You have to. You have to take what you think at that moment. I. I. I, I think we again. I, I really think we overworry about what we should do. Just say what you want to say. Speak to the person from the heart. You. You. You know. You already have something in your head. So just say that. You don't. Don't. You are not. This is not your profession. You think you can think of yourself as drafted into service for the people of Israel, but there's no. This is not. You know, just like 18-year-olds here are drafted into the army, so you're drafted into the foreign ministry. But it's, not, but it's a volunteer thing. You're not a professional. Just like if you volunteer at the hospital, you're not expected to do surgery. You're just, we're just asking you to have good conversations that enlighten people. That's all. And don't, whatever you think is the, and, and by the way, in most cases, you're not in an elevator where the person gets on and goes, ding, and then says, Boy, don't you hate how Arabs are treated in Israel? And then you go, wait, which one do I choose? Oh, don't you know that in Israel, Arabs are citizens, and that's why uh, they have equal rights, and that's why they have membership in Knesset, and also there's an Arab in the Supreme Court, and that's why there is another, oh, ding, oh, okay, have a nice day. Right? That's not usually how it happens. Usually, it's a conversation over lunch. So you can say all the stuff you want to say, because people, you know, it's a conversation. So you kind of just said it, but to say it in like maybe a more clear slow way if somebody says to you that israel's an apartheid state what's your go-to facts like the things that you say just like a clear well it's not apartheid apartheid meant that first of all apartheid was europeans who came to africa a country they were not from and they were white and they ran a country filled with black people and treated the blacks as second-class citizens didn't give them voting rights and, and, and a whole bunch of rights Israel is a bunch of Semitic people from the Middle East returning to their homeland, encountering another bunch of Semitic people who say, but we wanted to make it our nation-state homeland. We're Arabs. That's the conflict here. And in Israel, Israeli Arabs, 20% of Israeli citizens are Arabs. They have full equality before the law. They have membership in Knesset. They, they vote. They have access to all government services and things like that. Um, you can say that as a minority, they're not always. They often there's often complaints that we're not getting our fair share. Like my, there are minority problems, but certainly before the law, Arabs and Jew, Jews who are Israeli citizens stand before the law as equals. So it's clearly not an apartheid state. That being said, in the West Bank, you have this weird limbo situation where Israel offered a state, they didn't take it, and so now we're left stuck with our army ruling over a big piece of land, and they're not citizens of a state because they wouldn't take a state. That problem is a very big problem, and people have been trying to solve that problem now for a long time. I don't know what the smartest solution to that problem is. However, that difficult situation, which most Israelis want to get out of desperately, as honestly do most Palestinians want to get out of desperately, uh, that we're stuck in, to call it apartheid distorts much more than it explains. It's not, a, it's not a racist government trying to oppress Arabs. It's a government that treats its citizens as equals, and it rules over a land that it captured in war with people who don't want it for a state but do want the whole country for a state, and Israel can't commit national suicide and give up the state of Israel, which is the only solution they're willing to take, the majority of Palestinians. So we're stuck in this terrible situation, but apartheid is the wrong word. It confuses more than it explains. 
It's not helpful. And it's designed to not be helpful. It's designed to confuse and make Israel look more. It's designed to demonize. If I could just respond to what Emily said before. You can. Thank you. Um, I don't know how much it would help to say that you've been, you've seen Israeli Arabs because I have been somewhat privileged to go to an Arab village with a group. And the I spoke to teenagers there. And they weren't that positive about Israel themselves. To them, their cousins and brothers and sisters are in Palestine. And to them, it's Israel isn't that pleasant. It's somewhere that they can work and they do have rights. But one of the girls said that she's going to study medicine in Germany because she doesn't think that is, the Israeli universities will give her the same privileges as they will to the Israeli kids. And um, also even the a lady that was organizing the whole thing so that it was ironic how the Israelis were treating the Palestinians considering we had been through the Holocaust and I thought that they they do see the benefits of being Israeli Arabs but I don't think they're necessarily positive about it I don't think saying that you have been to see Israeli Arabs will help any argument no 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 bring it up why not there is a broad range of opinion of Israeli Arabs some of them are Zionists and are happy to live in a Jewish state some of them are not happy that it's a Jewish state but are happy that it's a democracy, so they're happy to live with the status quo, even though they don't believe in a Jewish state. Some of them feel that a Jewish state is a terrible thing and wish there wasn't a Jewish state, but they're, citizen, they'll, they're citizens and they'll vote and they'll do things. So just like any minority community in any country of the world, of course you have a wide range of experiences and opinions. And they're allowed to vote based on that. You have ministers of Knesset who are anti-Zionist because those people that you're describing vote for those people. And so in the Israeli legislature are people who say the state of Israel really shouldn't exist. That's how much of a democracy Israel is, that those people absolutely have the right and exercise the right to express their anti-Israel, anti-Zionist opinions in public. And, and other Arabs who disagree with them, who love being Israeli citizens, have the right to express their opinion. So Israel is a, comp- just like every democracy on earth, it's complicated and it's messy and it's beautiful. And there isn't a country, there isn't a democracy on earth that isn't struggling with how to integrate minorities, respecting their culture, but also integrating them into society. Israel has the same problems that every other country in the world has. I have to wrap. Is this, you want this one on the? Yeah, just a comment. Okay, go ahead. Um, also, adding on to what Karen said, that in addition to bringing up Israel in a positive light and just talking and just talking about it and how it's a normal place also, I think you'd be surprised as to when you meet strangers, that they also might be pro-Israel and they might have traveled to Israel before. Like I did an internship last year in East Hollywood and I was so nervous that I would encounter someone who was anti-Israel or I would have to like describe what Israel is like. And I was pleasantly surprised that most of the staff had been to Israel already and loves Israel. And I think you just have to start talking to people and you'll realize that not everyone... Honestly, it depends where you are to a certain extent and in what environment you are. But in many environments, that's 100% true. We should should definitely not assume. I would say most people don't care that much about Israel one way or the other. Some people love it. Some people don't. And your job is to tell your story and your truth. And that's all you can do. And you can never underestimate how important that is. And think about it. If somebody said, I spent a year in Uganda, and here's what it was like, you'd be fascinated and open-minded and curious. And that's how most people are, I think that's how most people are going to encounter you. And that fear that you guys are describing, which often is unfounded because people are, love to hear it, 
that fear is holding people. I think there's two fears holding people back on campus of like educated Jews. One of them is I don't know enough, so I should I shouldn't talk. And the other one is I don't want to be branded as a bad person and and discriminated against because of this. I w- I can't tell you what to do. I would say resist both those fears. They're mostly unfounded. And when they're founded, not to sound like everybody's mother, but if somebody doesn't like you because you spent a year studying in your homeland and growing as a human being and a Jew, then what do you care what that person thinks? Right? Didn't your mother tell you that at some point in your life? It's still true. Just because your mother said something doesn't mean it's not true. Who cares? You're an idiot. I'm not going to convince you of anything because you're not... You're, I, I, it's not I have too many nice, normal people to meet in life that I can interact with that I'm going to spend... Why would I spend time worrying about a jerk like that? Any more than you would ever treat a person like that. If somebody says, I spent a year studying in Lebanon, would you say, oh, I should treat that person badly and think of them ill? You would never do that. You would never do that. Expect most people to be that respectful to you. And most people will be. And those who aren't, fill in your bad word. In your head, I'm not going to say it on the podcast because it goes like, you know what, I'll shut off the tape now and we'll all say all the curses together, okay? (laughs) And that's how Mike lost his job at Jerusalem U. All right, well, thank you so much, ladies. I think, uh, listeners, if you found this enlightening, (laughs) they're saying fight, fight, fight. We have, this is our wrestling tournament at the end of class. Sounds like Mike, but it's fight. Uh, uh, If you found it enlightening and helpful... Please share it with others. Uh, and always, as always, let us know. Bye, Alan. Bye, listeners. Bye-bye. <laughs>